live. I missed Mark's uh, countdown, and now he's muted. So, anyway, uh, as you all know, I'm Jordan Ostroff. Joining me today is Jason O'Neill. He's here on our Let's Get Up to Business uh, podcast slash Facebook live show. He's going to be talking to us about commercial evictions and what's going on with all of that during coronavirus. But before I let Jason introduce himself, uh, I just want to go over. So yesterday we had Greg Eisenberg on. He talked about outbound engagement. So if you're looking to grow your social media channels during this, that's a great one to watch. And then tomorrow at, I don't remember what time, I want to say, uh, I want to say it's two o'clock, but maybe Mark will jump on and correct me. No, he's gone. All right. So tomorrow at some point, uh, we're going to have Matthew Palma on to talk about healthcare directives and estate planning during the time of coronavirus. Um, for anybody who likes these videos, if you want to connect with all of them more, please, please, please follow us. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Mark's going to put the YouTube channel in the comments here. And with that, hello, Jason. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. I think this is my first uh, Facebook Live podcast combo. Well, hopefully it won't show, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, so if anybody's listening to this and they know right off the bat they need some help with a, a real estate issue, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, probably the best way is to call the office, even though uh, our office, like most, uh, we're all remote. Our phones are uh, still up and running and uh, being answered. So 407 986-0529 and uh, they can reach uh, the receptionist and she'll take it from there. My email address is joneal, that's the letter J-O-N-E-A-L at mycornerstonelaw.com. All right. And um, I don't know if you can see the feed, but um, Mark has it. So our names are underneath our faces. So they'll have the spelling of your name right there. On the oh, feed. perfect. I cannot see the feed, but uh, that sounds good. All right. So uh, for everybody watching, if you have any questions you want to jump in on, go ahead and comment on them. I've got the feed pulled up. We'll jump to your questions. Uh, we had a couple from Nayef Mubarak yesterday. So if anybody has questions, jump in. Otherwise, we'll get started. So my first question for you, Jason, um, from that you know, kind of 10,000-foot perspective, how different is the real estate litigation, the real estate law stuff now during coronavirus versus, you know, normal time? You know, if, if you would have asked me yesterday, I would have said, oh, you know, some stuff's changed. Some stuff's been more challenging. But, uh, you know, moments before uh, getting on with you, I just had my first ever evidentiary hearing via video conference. And, uh, I mean, let me just start by saying big kudos to all the judges and JAs that are, um, you know, putting together these refined procedures. But it was terribly difficult um, to to do what we normally do in a courtroom uh, and to try to do that over video conferencing. We had uh, five witnesses. Uh, plus one expert witness, the court reporter, the judge, me, opposing counsel. It's a commercial uh, landlord-tenant case and um, had about uh, definitely A through Z exhibits, had tons of exhibits both sides. It's very, very challenging. So I would say... I think we uh, lost Jason's feed here for a second. Let's see if it comes back. 
Jason? No. All right. Well, I, uh, ironically enough, he cut out while talking about how difficult some of these things are to do tech-wise. Right. So I, I think he, I think he caught me on that one. Um, so you were talking about having the exhibits being difficult. How did you get the exhibits submitted? Were those like pre-sent to the clerk or something? Yeah, this judge, um, I, I actually misread this particular judge's local rules, um, their temporary rules, but uh, defense counsel FedExed all the exhibits pre-marked in and then circulated electronic copies. Um, I just circulated electronic copies and uh, the judge was nice enough to print them off for me at the courthouse. I didn't have as many exhibits as the opposing party. So that's how we did it. But, uh, you know, the procedure is pre-mark them with exhibit stickers and then send them in uh, via FedEx so that the, the court has the original. And during the hearing, it was just like a normal hearing uh, where the judge was giving them to the clerk. Oh, so the judge and the clerk were physically together? Yes. I never saw the clerk, but yes, they were in the same room. Uh, the judge was passing to the clerk um, once the exhibits were entered into evidence. Interesting. And I saw while you were uh, giving that comment, Blair Jackson, our, uh, our grade A business law attorney here at Jordan Law, gave you a like. So I think he might uh, be prepping for some upcoming hearing and needing to do the, uh, the same thing to FedEx and some exhibits. I've heard that. And uh, I mean, just you got to read those temporary procedures. Uh, this was in the ninth. And I, um, I watched uh, Judge uh, Myers give the town hall and discuss those things. And I read the local procedures, but apparently I screwed it up. I, I misread the part about FedExing them in. Ours were labeled plaintiff's exhibits and um, it worked out okay. But the, the, the ever shifting landscape on these uh, temporary procedures is very difficult. That's another layer of uh, complexity. There you go. And then a, uh, another good friend of our show, Tom Craig, a uh, cybersecurity and IT guy, gave you a, a, a like and a love on that. So I don't know if uh, maybe, maybe he's working with some people on getting that stuff together. So let, let's dive a little bit deeper into the commercial eviction process. So you're saying that it's a little bit more difficult having to do all these things virtually. But I guess question one, are they even doing evictions now? Well, uh you know, I think it was April the 2nd, Governor DeSantis uh, put out an executive order. It covers the whole state. I think it's executive order 2094. Um, and it, it was really simple. It had three bullet points and I'm paraphrasing, but it paused or suspended any statutes relating to foreclosures, any statute relating to evictions. And then I think the third bullet point was it doesn't relieve anybody from the obligation to pay. How that's been interpreted across different courts, in my experience, has been a little bit different. Um, there are some courts, you know, I practice in Central Florida, Orange, Seminole, Volusia, Osceola, you know, all around the, uh, the metropolitan area. Some judges have said, look, the public policy behind this is no writs of possession are being issued. So I take that as everything, um, anything, evictions. It extends to unlawful detainers, which, as you know, Jordan, are a little bit like evictions, but not the same thing. I have um, no idea, but I thank you for giving me more credit than I deserve. <laughs> well, unlawful detainers are just like evictions where there's no landlord-tenant relationship. Think about it as 
boyfriend, girlfriend live in the same place and um, they, uh, they don't want to live together anymore. Or, or uh, um, as sad as it might seem, parents that are allowing adult children to live with them. They don't charge them any rent and they want them to leave and they won't leave. That's an unlawful detainer. Gotcha. So the executive order didn't specify that, um, you know, those types of cases were suspended. In fact, unlawful detainers are under a totally different chapter, chapter 82. But a lot of courts have said, look, the public policies, we're trying to keep people in place during this time. And so we're not signing final judgments on unlawful detainers either. We're not processing those cases. Now, in the commercial eviction, most judges, uh, in my experience, uh, are still processing them. As I just mentioned, I was in a, a hearing earlier, and it's on a commercial eviction. I have no idea what's going to happen when I finally go to get my writ of possession against that tenant or any commercial tenant, because some of the clerk's offices have taken um, other orders, one from the Supreme Court of Florida, uh, an administrative order suspends the word instant in the writ of possession statute. So it, it suspends the requirement that clerks issue those writs instantaneously. And so even in a commercial setting, I don't know, as I talk to you today, um, how fast or if a clerk is going to issue the writ and uh, if they're able to distinguish those orders if they come in, presumably they will be. I haven't had it come up yet. I think I've got my first one next week. Uh, so we'll see if, if I get the writ. But you're still, to the extent that they're not going to issue them now, though, you're still putting yourself higher up on the waiting list, though, right? That's my theory. I mean, I, I've told specifically with residential, um, I've told the landlords, look, just go through the statutory process as if you are, because if we do face a, a big backlog in the courts of all these people that withheld rent in April, let's say, withheld it in uh, May, and then May 17th, the executive order expires, seems to me like there could be a huge backlog and sort of first come, first serve if you're already in line and if you've already done your procedural steps, um, then that's, that's been my advice. We are doing extra um, notices to the tenants. In fact, any of my landlord clients, I'm sending out a, an additional letter to the tenant, uh, to the defendant, and uh, enclosing a copy of Governor DeSantis's executive order, because there's a bunch of misinformation out there. Uh, does it apply to commercial? Does it apply in this case? Oh, it only applies to folks that have mortgages on their house or different things like that. So, um, you know, we're just giving that extra step to the defendant. I think, you know, it's uh, the right thing to do. And that's what that's what we're advising our landlords to do. So basically, when you're representing the landlord, you're you're sending information to the tenant. It just says, hey, look, this is what's going on now. Um, and then obviously, it's going to be up to them to find uh, counsel or handle it differently based upon what's going on. Right. You know, there's so there's all these statutory notices that you have to send, uh, for example, in a residential, well, in a commercial too, you get to send a three day notice, um, you know, the, in parlance, it's, you know, they'll send the three day notice. So after the three day notice, I think that it's wise for landlords to communicate. And 
not just on legal, but on practical terms, I think that it might be a good idea for landlords right now to say to their own tenants, hey, uh, if you want to do a payment plan or something during this time, because at some point the executive order is going to be lifted and the evictions are going to go. The executive order specifies it doesn't have anything to do with your obligation to pay. And so you want an eviction on your record or you want to you know, get a payment plan. And folks are hurting. There's a ton of tenants that uh, have lost their jobs. Huge percentages of like restaurant industry. I heard last night Disney's furloughing thousands or tens of thousands of people. So those folks don't have a job. They can't pay. Uh, you know, that's one thing. And those landlords, they should probably be working with them and trying to get on a payment plan and trying to get whatever um, assistance that they can. But at some point in the future, you know, it's going to come, um, it's going to come up. So basically, I mean, your advice is to keep that line of communication open as much as possible while this process goes through. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, old advice prior to these executive orders suspending rent. I think the general advice on landlords don't take partial rent. Um, if you take partial rent on a residential, um, uh, tenancy, you've got to reissue the three-day notice and it can screw up all the procedural statutory aspects of it. Um, whatever your terms on your commercial lease are, it can screw that up as well. And so sort of old, the, the prior to Corona thinking was, yeah, don't take partial rent. And if you do, you got to follow all these extra stuff. I think now because there's a suspension, literally landlords in residential are completely uh, stopped right now until May 17th and uh, commercial it can be a little bit more expensive um, in the commercial setting if a tenant wants to so when you sue somebody for eviction that tenant must put money in the registry of the court if they want to defend the action um, the in a commercial setting a tenant raising an issue of the motion to determine rent due or what's really at issue here, they're entitled to an evidentiary hearing. Well, what I experienced this morning is evidentiary hearings are really difficult uh, technology wise. It's, uh, you know, attorneys on both sides. It's their, no matter how long they've been practicing, it's their first time doing an evidentiary hearing um, over video conference because it's typically required that you, you be in person. So those added layers of complexity, I think, uh, lend themselves to people working some stuff out right now. Yeah, I want to echo uh, Tom Craig commented earlier. I get that uh, he loves seeing how technology is being used to make us as flexible as possible during this trying time. And I think that's nowhere more obvious than in the court system. I mean, we're the court system is like slowly working itself to like 1990s technology to accommodate a lot of these things. Oh, it is. I mean, I think of short matters, um, you know, in the civil context, we go for short matters or ex parte and it's a giant, uh, I think some folks call it a cattle call and it's everybody standing around for what is sometimes a 60 second hearing. And uh, now um, those hearings are obviously occurring telephonically. The lawyers don't have to get in the, their vehicles and drive to the courthouse and you know, get there early and, and wait around, you know, for the, for the lawyers that are billing by the hour, it's beneficial to their clients. And uh, it's, 
it's really an efficient process not to go down and have especially those short matters. So that's one thing that's uh, I hope will stick around. I hope a lot of jurisdictions will start regularly allowing telephonic short matters. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we always try to push an access to the courts and obviously the ability to make these things go faster because you're not sitting in court for three hours for that 60 second hearing. But then obviously the flip side to that is then you get more firms doing these across the entire country because they don't have to go there. So you lose that, you know, the benefit of the uh, being the down home local attorney. Yeah, hometown. I mean, if somebody has to drive up here from Miami, maybe they're a little more inclined to uh, to agree to a certain motion or to stipulate to certain things, knowing that they face, you know, a couple hour drive to get up to central Florida. Uh, so you're right about that. The other thing is technology is pretty good now, but um, you know, I've had a couple hearings this week and, and one last week where we were doing telephonic hearings. And then all of a sudden during the hearing, you hear, hello, hello, you know, and it's somebody from another hearing that is dialed into the conference line provided by the court. And the judges have all been really great saying, uh, yes, the, the hearing before yours is still going on. Please mute your microphone and uh, stay on the line and, and do that. Uh, that's happened in, I think that's happened in every single telephonic hearing I've had in the last, uh, certainly this week. And I think everyone last week and it's become a common occurrence. So that technology needs to change like individual passwords or something like that. I mean, these, these are courts are open to the public anyway. Somebody could come right. and sit in the back of your, your courtroom, but it's a little, um, I guess off putting or throws you off when you're in the middle of your argument and somebody's like, hello, Hey, I, um, I'm here for whatever. And you know, luckily the judges have been handling it, uh, like superstars. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting to me cause obviously like I've seen so much more technology use. Like I've been on a bunch of panels. Um, there's a guy, uh, um, Moshe who's a, an accountant up in New, New York who put together like a two week COVID panel and everything you have to know. And so he has the all decked out Zoom feature. So you have hosts, co-hosts, panelists, and attendees. So it'd be really interesting for the court to use something similar and then have your, you know, anybody can sit there as an attendee. It's open to the public. But then as their case comes called up, then you move them up to like panelist. And that way you wouldn't have to worry about meeting everybody's mics because you would just be jumping around that way. But obviously that's probably the, the Buku, uh, you know, Zoom package or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, Zoom is fairly reasonable. I think, you know, my firm, you know, just like almost every other, when all this stuff happens, okay, go sign up for Zoom. And I find it pretty reasonable. I don't have the big Buku package, but I've got the one that, you know, whatever the, the probably the next level down from that one is. But yeah, I agree with you. If those technologies were tweaked just a little bit, telephonic and video, and if there were long-standing procedures about how you get the evidence to the court or how you do certain things, I think it could be a real uh, game changer in, in a positive way. Yeah. All right. So anything else we need to talk about from the commercial eviction standpoint? And then I've got a couple more questions for you on real estate during coronavirus. Well, uh, yeah, I guess not on the evictions, on the, on the commercial eviction. Some of my um, commercial tenants are trying to uh, utilize some mechanisms to uh, withhold rent, force majeure, impossibility of performance, and, and those types of things. And we're just now seeing those come to fruition. 
um, especially with the date of um, some of the orders that came out April 1st, 2nd. And then I think on midnight on April 3rd was Governor DeSantis's other executive order, uh, which people have referred to as the stay home. If you're non-essential, stay home. You can't go to your um, little office space that you rented. And so we're seeing a lot of tenants um, utilize those mechanisms and say to their landlords, look, we are prevented from going to the space that we rent from you. What's the least say about this? What what are our rights, if any, under uh, any of these clauses? Yeah, so that was uh, almost verbatim going to be my follow-up question. So your uh, great minds think alike here. So kind of walk me through that. I mean, obviously, somebody's got to read through their contract, but what are they looking for? Yeah, it is really highly fact-specific. Um, all the huge law firms have uh, great blogs out on it. And... Um, you know, so anybody that's listening to this can simply Google, you know, force majeure and get a pretty broad understanding of, of what it is. But I mean, everything you read and my personal opinion is that it is very fact specific. You got to read your own lease. Um, in the past few weeks, I've read um, a lot of, of leases and um, in one of the leases that I'm thinking about, it has the word, it has the words epidemic and pandemic in the force majeure clause. And uh, that is really strong. Um, it's strong in that lease for the tenant because the force majeure clause says, you know, um, if anything happens, you know, some are written really broadly. If anything happens like an act of God, which prevents either party from performing this, then we're going to pause or rent shall abate, or it says all sorts of things. They're highly fact specific. This one in particular, written by one of the largest landlords uh, in the nation, it specifies pandemic. So it is one of those triggering events under the force majeure clause. Now that particular lease has an entirely different section, pages away, paragraphs away. That says nothing in this lease, including the force majeure clause, uh, can be used to withhold rent. Like the payment of rent is a static obligation, and maybe the force majeure clause um, will abate the tenant's um, requirement that they keep certain hours. We see that a lot in malls. You got to keep your store open from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., or in strip centers. We got to keep this open to this open. So maybe the force majeure clause lets you out of those things. Um, but it, in that lease, that uh, term was that it won't abate the rent. On the other end of that spectrum, I've seen really broadly written force majeure clauses that say, um, you know, any act of God that prevents occupancy of the tenant. And so those tenants are in good shape with hey. This is it. And uh, another one I read this week said any government regulation. So there's there's lots of layers of, of complexity. The big thing that any of your uh, listeners or viewers need to know is that it's very specific to their individual lease. And what's uh, going to to change the, the pattern there. Now, is that something, you know, let's say they've got a really long lease or let's say they're not comfortable reading it themselves. Is that something you would review for them? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've done a lot of that in the last 
really two weeks, it's super picked up. Um, I've had a lot of tenants call me, um, especially around the Oviedo area. And they've said, hey, I'm so-and-so at, at this particular place. Here's what happened to me. And can you look at my lease and see what, do I have any rights? Because I, you know, they're just flat out telling me, I can't pay the landlord rent because of X, Y, and Z. So what do I do? And no matter what, it's always good to, to start communication. Whether right. that communication is, hey, landlord, pound sand, because we got a great clause here or whatever you're going to say, or, hey, landlord, let's make a deal or vice versa. I've got some landlords that tenants didn't pay. And while normally we'd send a, you know, hey, you're out, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, boom, boom, boom. Maybe it's better to say, hey, you didn't pay. What are your circumstances? Here's what my circumstances are. Let's try to work this out because, um, you know, as a real estate litigator, I think it's a lot of people say it, but I think it's true. Oftentimes, if you go to, to war and if you go real fast and just sue everybody and scorched earth kind of stuff, the lawyers are the only ones that make out of that stuff. Right. Yeah, and um, I guess uh, Tom chimed in with, uh, if you're gonna, if you want to close the conference door for a meeting, don't use Zoom, and then posted a link to an article, I guess that talks about more secure video conferencing. So, um, I guess for the court system, you know, you can't really close the conference door to the public, so maybe that would work. But for, you know, client meetings or something, maybe you do want a little bit more protection there. Yeah, the court reporter in my hearing from this morning uh, said she was in a deposition in in Zoom. And a couple hours into the, the video deposition, somebody like Zoom bombed them. Um, and, you know, we were talking about that. I've seen that in the news. And uh, she didn't really know how it happens. I, I don't really know how it happens either. I haven't experienced it, um, you know, but that the security, the technology security is, is really needed. Yeah. All right. So as we, uh, as we start wrapping up here, if anybody watching now has any questions, uh, go ahead and drop them in the feed. You've got another minute or two, and then we'll make sure we get Jason to answer them. Otherwise, if somebody has follow-up questions or they, knows they, they know they need their lease reviewed, can you give us your contact information? Yeah, the uh, fastest way to get in touch with me is the phone 407-986-0529 or my personal email, my work email is joneal at mycornerstonelaw.com. And uh, we're on Facebook. You send me a message on Facebook as well at the uh, Cornerstone page or drop me an email. All right. And we'll see if, uh, if Mark got any of that data, if he could drop that as a comment here. Um, I can I see that he's back on watching us. Not in a weird way, just producing the, uh, <laughs> producing the video. It's really helpful to have somebody with access to the keyboard instead of having to go, you know, on the screen with everything. So... Yeah. Um, you know, again, as we wrap up, um, any other advice, tips, tricks, suggestions that you have for, you know, our business owner listeners here? You know, I think it's read the lease and then call, call a professional, call a lawyer, get an interpretation on it. Um, you know, because I think I've had some clients that were pretty surprised at what they could do. They didn't, they had lost all hope. They actually had some pretty good hope. And, uh, you know, it goes the other way too, thinking, oh yeah, I can. More on the residential side, a lot of folks call up, hey, I don't have to pay rent, right? Well, yeah, kind of, but um, yeah, just hire a professional and keep the lines of communication open you know, with the other side. Whether you're a landlord or a tenant, I think it's a good idea to communicate in, in these times. 
So, uh, Anna Alves says, thanks for the good information. So, uh, I would say you're welcome, but none of it came from me. It was all from Jason. But uh, <laughs> Heidi, Heidi Hillier has a great question. So, it says, uh, what about leases that are silent on the force majeure clause? It doesn't have anything in there either way. Yeah, so there are a lot of leases that don't have it. You still have um, – sorry, I bumped my camera. You still have some, some things like impossibility of performance or impracticability or frustration of, of purpose. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a tenant that leased some particular space for a very particular purpose. Uh, the landlord knew about it. It was contemplated that this is our purpose. And not only are they prevented from using the space for that purpose now, but it would appear that based on Corona, they'll never be able to do that particular thing again. That's a frustration of purpose argument. Um, the very heart of what they were uh, renting the space for is gone forever through no fault of their own. That's a very uh, important um, piece of it. It can't just be, you know, doing it because I don't want to. So, and that's a, uh, a very long lawyerly way of saying it depends. <laughs> it depends. Everything depends. It depends on how long Jordan's beard grows. That's really it's, the... It's getting there. <laughs> All right. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. And again, if anybody has any questions, um, that we've got your information to follow up. So if you're enjoying the videos, please go ahead, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're going to have Mark drop the link to our YouTube channel in here. Um, pretty much all these videos go on YouTube. It's a lot easier to search older videos or go through them that way. And then we also have some videos that only go to YouTube. So you'll get some uh, specific content over there. And then if you're free tomorrow, you can listen to uh, Matt Palma talk about the coronavirus's impact on estate planning, healthcare directives, and whatnot from there. Other than that, Jason, thank you so much for joining me today, my friend. Hey, thanks for inviting me. I enjoyed it. We got to see each other when all this is uh, over in person. Yeah, so stay stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy, and uh, you know, keep crushing those virtual conferences. Hey, we'll try, buddy. See you later. Bye.